Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. This is, uh, again, the mid. I'm pretty excited about tonight because I always get a lot of feedback about this translations thing, and I get a lot of pushback. I get a lot of yelling at. I get a lot of people like, you can't say that about that, and that's always fun, but... uh, Translation matters. It's ridiculously important what you're reading and who wrote it and why. So uh, tonight, we're calling this, this is like part two, and we're calling this Be Careful with Translations, okay? Be careful with translations. And uh, much like the first one, I made the PowerPoint, so don't get too excited about that. That's all right. Uh, Can I pray first? Can I pray something? uh, The Lord on the way over here put it on my heart. Uh, I think I might need a new uh, prayer book. This one gets abused pretty hard. But I want to pray this prayer. I just, uh, I believe the Lord put it on my heart because how many of you ever had one of those days? I had one of those days today where it was like, it was just at, uh, because about three, here's what happens on Wednesdays when I have to do this on Wednesdays. About three o'clock I kind of shift from work mode into church mode, back to pastorizing myself so that I can be focused and like bring, bring a good word, pastorizing, I don't know, right? So, but at like five to four today, I get a call on my phone and there's the water leaking out of a washer and I'm like, just let it leak, I don't care. <laughs> then I get up there and the lady's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's a gas leak in the closet. And I'm like, a gas leak? That's kind of important. You should have called that one in and with the washer. And, and my, my tech who works with me, he's off today. And I'm like, oh, I got to work. I don't want to. <laughs> right? So we got the water and the thing handled and kind of did a thing to the gas leak. And I'm like, you know, was joking with the lady when I laughed. I said, okay, if you're still here tomorrow and this doesn't <laughs> blow up, I'll be here to fix it, okay? So that's kind of the way it went. Got, I left work late and then had to brush, and you know, the way it is. So let's pray this prayer together. Can we be in agreement? Everybody on the stream and the podcast, in agreement. So let's put our hands out, get ready to receive. Father, we come before you in prayer, and we praise and worship the name of Jesus. You are the God who was and who is and who is to come. Father, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You are the author of creation, the great I am, and the king of peace. We thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth tonight and performs that for which it was sent and does not return void. Father, we declare your word in this place that states that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just and that we in this place and the church body are recipients of supernatural wealth transfer. Father, we pray that you divinely collapse the power structures of the wicked that destroy and lead astray your holy people, that supernatural interruptions are mandated against all forms of wickedness being executed from the kingdom of darkness. Father, we declare that the assignments against our lives and the lives in this church 
the lives of my brothers and sisters of Christ come under the jurisdiction of heaven and become forcefully canceled in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that agent angels are presently ministering protection to us in this place. They're fighting our battles as we declare your word over our lives tonight. Father, we thank you for your profound love for us and, and for this lost and dying world that goes without all comprehension. Father, we'll never figure it out. Father, we pray for the grace to be an instrument of communication on your behalf. For your word says that he who wins souls is wise. And Father, we declare that the sum total of everything under our stewardship in this moment is coming under the protection of the blood of Jesus, extending to our key relationships and upcoming divine appointments. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that everything that we set our hands to is prospering and that you give us grace that's sufficiently empowering us to overcome every single obstacle in our life in the name of Jesus. If you can get in agreement with that, say, I receive it today. In the name of Jesus, that prayer right here in this here prayer book that you should all have in your hands. So, as you can tell, mine is well used, uh, and, and I love that thing. All right, here we go. Translations. Uh, this, this is called um, How to Read Your Bible. It was a ministry discipleship training school class that I taught a long time ago. It was so, we were laughing earlier because it's like three ring binders and printouts, right? I can't even find this in my computer. That's how long ago. That was like four computers ago. So we're bindering it tonight. And, and let me just say that most of church really doesn't understand how the translations came about, okay? And we have to be careful. Now, let me put out a disclaimer, all right? Because of this right here, and it's James chapter 4, verse or 3, 4, 3, verse 1, thank you, it says this, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, okay, we're talking about the word of God in your life, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, right, so if you're going to be a teacher of the word, you have to understand what you're reading, why, how, and where it's going to land because you're going to be under stricter judgment, right? We can't just quote scripture and kind of turn it into what we want it to say. Yeah. That's against the rules. <laughs> Sorry. And if I had a stick, I would hit you right on the fingers because it happens a lot. It happens a lot in pulpits where sometimes... Preachers will take one scripture and this scripture and blend them together to make it sound really fascinating and cool, right? Or they'll take a translation or a paraphrase and put it together and then kind of add their two cents in and really twist what it says. And that's illegal. Can't do that because you will be accountable for what you're teaching or spreading, or talking, because we read and we prayed, the word of God shall not return void. So if you're twisting it, and it lands in a twisted place, and that thing twists the more, guess who's accountable for that? Much like we were talking on Sunday, when the Jews said, let his blood be on our hands and on the, our children's hands, 
that word that you just preached wrong, or maybe even the translation was wrong, you're now accountable for that. And you're sitting there going, I will never say another Bible verse in my whole life without reading it, right? So most of us don't really understand that. And the disclaimer is this. Most of us aren't really Bible teachers, okay? Most of us just read the Bible just for whether it's information or we just want to know Jesus better, we want to grow, whatever that looks like for you, that's for you. That's on you, okay? But if you're a teacher, a pastor, or a discipler of any kind, make sure you're tight and right. Because in, in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor, encouraging him. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom, he says, preach the word. So we're supposed to preach the word. We're supposed to, we have the seed, right? Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. This is our job as Christians, right? Preach the word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Because this whole translation thing started in about the middle of the 20th century. Before that, it was sound doctrine, word for word, okay? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears who want to just be blessed, and they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, right? So it, it, it's like people are going to essentially say, Stick with the word because somebody's going to make some stuff up, right? And he says there, verse 5, he says, but you be watchful in all things. Who's responsible? Paul says we're going to be accountable if we're teachers. And then he says to these guys, he says, be watchful in all things. Pay attention. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, here, just because it's a reading the Bible class, I want you to notice the NKJV. Everybody knows what that is, right? New King James Version. Now, we're going to talk about versions. We're going to talk about standards. And then we're going to talk about paraphrases. Now, the Bible, right, I said just a second ago, up until about the middle of the 20th century, the, the Bible translators really worked hard to do a word for word from the Greek, from the Hebrew, word for word, you know, translation of exactly what the word of God said. And it was, uh, almost fell over, see that? My legs are so tired. <laughs> but here's the thing. It was, uh, the word was to translate the words from the original Hebrew. I think I got slides for this, right? I think, maybe, right? There we go. Okay, the goal of Bible translation is to translate the words of the original Hebrew and Greek text insofar as the process of translation allows, right? As far as it goes. Do we have an English word that matches this Greek word? Most of the time, no, right? So then we've got to put words together and do these things, but that's the translator's job. And up until the middle of the 20th century, they call those translations word for word translations. Can you put that big long slide up? 
Tanisha, okay, here we go. A lot of words. You can see it goes from word for word to thought for thought, right? And then paraphrase way down there. There is one problem with this. The Amplified Bible is supposed to be over there towards paraphrase, right? So you can see New American Standard Bible. Anytime you see standard, it's a word for word translation from Greek to Hebrew to English, okay? English Standard, ready to read King James Version, Right? Everybody knows Tyndale was the original guy who translated from German to English. Right? It started with the King James. Then it was revised to a King James Version. Then you see Revised Standard Version. Right? New American Bible. The NIV actually should be over at the next list too. But a lot of these, anytime you see standard versions, they're word-for-word -word translations. Which should be the baseline for everything, right? So there's two different camps when it comes to translating the Bible. You have the word for word, and you have the thought for thought. Now, when this all came about, there was, it started out in the middle of the 20th century. The theory was called dynamic equivalence, and then it went by uh, functional equivalence, and its aim... Once they started with this middle row, they started, their aim was to reproduce not the words of the original text, but thoughts or ideas, which the way I thought about something is going to be completely different than the way Kyle thought about something and the way Dom thought about something and the way Michael thought about, that's all going to be different. So if I'm translating a letter from my wife, into my thought-for-thought thought translation, it's going to sound a lot different than Kyle, Dom, and Mike, okay? So understand when I say, I'm not saying that the translators weren't qualified, but I'm saying they're not qualified because they come with a past, right? I went to the, my university teaches one way. Chase's university, Oral Roberts University, teaches it this way, uh, Azusa Pacific, from the loud person in the back, teaches it this way. King's University teaches it this way. You can be at a university that's hyper grace. You can be at a university that's hyper Ten Commandments. And it's all going to, you know, every one of those translations will sound different. Okay, so we got in the middle of the 20th century, this is when this started, and the reason they did this was it was assumed that it was best for the mission field. Okay, they were trying to create translations that people would be able to hear and understand who weren't educated, right? Like the mission field in the middle of Africa and South America, Mexico, wherever. They were saying that those people were not uh, educated enough to understand like King James English especially, even Spanish. So they were trying to water that down. They were trying to bring it down to understandable thoughts, right? And, it, and they, they used those translations a lot in the mission field. Are you with me on that? All right, so thought for thought. Are we going to go thought for thought or are we going to go word for word? And again, the disclaimer, if you're a teacher and you're going to be held accountable for doctrine, word for word is your Bible, right? 
But if you're just reading for fun, if you're reading to, you know, maybe just understand Jesus, understand the parables where somebody else's thoughts for you are going to help you to understand that, that's probably better, okay? And it's okay. I'm not, I'm not running down any Bibles or any translations. I just know in my life, even from here on Sundays, you've all heard I've used the Amplified Bible, I've used the Living Bible, I've even snuck in the Passion Translation a few times. But those are all like even a paraphrase, like the Living Bible was paraphrased by a man for his children. So it's a simple children thought for thought mentality, okay? So again, dynamic equivalence is thought for thought is a theory of translating based on the premise that whenever something in the original text, right, is foreign or unclear to a contemporary English reader, the text should be translated in terms of an equivalent rather than literal word for word English. And we've all read verses where you read that thing and you go, say, what? No, that didn't even make sense. You have words that are running on top of each other. And in, in, next time that I'm up here, I think uh, two weeks, we're going to do a study technique that I learned in college, actually in Bible college, that will help you to understand how to read big words and how to break them down so that you can understand what those are. Now, these days, we have apps and, and all kinds of cool stuff that will do that for you. Back in the day, you used to have a concordance and a Bible dictionary, uh, a who's who in the Bible to understand names. You know, it's like, who is this person? For, for um, uh, just kind of a rabbit trail for a second, there's, there's five W's and an H to study in the Bible, right? Who, what, where, when, why and how? You ask yourself those questions, you're going to figure it out. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Because if you know me and you've been in this class or if you've heard me speak, what is what rules? Context, Context rules. And what happens when, I, I, ask my wife, I will be annoyed to the hilt when somebody says, we're going to pull this verse out of context. It's like, Why? Because it doesn't match. It's not a part of that whole thing. It drives me nuts. It's like, stop it already. What's the context? We're going to look at this in a few minutes on how, um, how, how, how much it matters. Okay? So, the thought-for-thought thought translations. Right? The translator's first task was to understand correctly the meaning of the original. That should be our first task in every time we read the Bible. And, and here's another thing. Let me pitch this in there and just say, you're, you're everybody in here saved. And most, all of you, I would guess, are filled with the Spirit of God. How many of you have heard or read something that somebody has said about Jesus and you go, eh, no. Because I know my relationship with my God, I know his character, I know his nature, I know the way he talks, I know the way he moves, I know him, and that ain't him. Right? We've all had that. So if you're reading a paraphrased version of the Bible and you run across that, first thing you would do is shift to a word-for-word -word literal translation and read the verse again, because we're going to look at this in a minute. Right? The translators in a dynamic equivalence 
try to reclothe or recapture the meaning of the original words in a structure that's easy to read for children. Or most of the time, it's a seventh grade level down, right? Trying to make it simple. And for some of us, that's great. I like simple. I am all about the simple, right? So most of us don't have an understanding of what they did. Or here's the thing. Most of the time, we don't even know who translated some of these versions or where they came from. If I'm going to read, for example, the Living Bible, which I started with when I was first saved, that's, I don't, I think you gave me a Living Bible because I didn't understand God. My picture of God was totally messed up. And I started reading that Bible. I would take it on the road with me, and I, I ran across 2 Timothy 2.15, right? That show yourself approved and be a workman, not ashamed. Those types of scriptures. And it really hit me the way it was written in that Bible. Hit me and sucked me into learning to read and study the Word. And, and it was a living Bible that did that. And now I'm pretty much, most, all of my Bible reading is either um, uh, English Standard, American Standard, or New King James. All of it. Especially for study for messages because I'm held accountable for what I'm saying. It has to be accurate. And <laughs> most of the people would be like, you don't teach accurate. And I was like, okay, we'll argue over that when you buy me lunch. Okay? So the translation... The, the common, now listen to the common thread here. This is what uh, the dynamic equivalence is trying to do. It, it tries to express the meaning in a manner and form easily understood by the reader. Okay, that's cool, right? Here's the, um, the metaphorical language is often difficult for, for readers to understand, so they try to translate or illuminate a metaphor, right? The living Bible does that. Um, a lot of times, Lord of hosts, God of hosts, you know, Lord of those types of phrases, people are like, what is that? I don't know. So they take those and change them and, and move things around so that it's easy to understand, right? So they take liberties in translating precise wording from the original to other things that most of the time we wouldn't do in our life, okay? Like, for example, your will. Your last will and testament is a, is a document, legal document. You're not going to want a, the lawyer to retranslate that into easier to understand language and change some meanings in there probably, right? It's like it's designed word for word to do a job. Well, that's what the word of God is. It's designed to do a job. It's designed to draw you into relationship with Jesus. That's what my purpose of the word is, right? Um, let's talk about destabilization for a second, okay? Because this is what happens with some of these uh, translations. Not all of them, some of them. We're going to look at a couple examples. But most of the time when the text is destabilized, which means it's been changed, the meaning is completely different. It's because the scholars don't agree on the meaning of the text. And if you don't, <laughs> just read a commentary or three different commentaries on one verse and you will be blown away by how different they are. Again, 
Could be a legalistic approach, could be a hyper-grace approach, could be a word-of-faith approach, all different, all gonna, every commentator is gonna look at like Mark 11 and have a different thought of how that looks. And, and we just went, we're just talking about this the other couple of weeks ago where you take Mark 11 and Kenneth Hagin has built a whole ministry on faith through Mark 11, right? And then now, recently, we have the whole fig tree thing that's happening with the end times that they're using the same verses, the same fig tree, the same everything, and, and they're changing that whole thing around. So that's a whole nother teaching, a whole nother ministry that's come out of that. So you can take one chapter in the Bible and create doctrine out of different sites and seeing it different. So uh, scholars can disagree on the meaning of the text, especially scholars who aren't schooled. <laughs> okay. We adopt the premise that only the thought needs to be translated and not the exact words. Okay. Who is deciding what the thought is? Because again, my thought growing up through church, denominational church, my thought is different than Dom's thought, than Kyle's thought, than Michael's thought, than Tammy's thought, than everybody else's thought. My thinking is different than everybody else. So if I translate this verse into this, it's going to sound different. Again, Mark 11 is a prime example of how many people can create different commentaries on one chapter in the Bible, okay? Um, we adopt, this, this premise is hard to deal with because most of the time, stuff gets changed. And, and again, I've heard this recently. Uh, you know, a big, 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 big church preacher does this a lot. And it really, if it's the only thing that bugs me about his preaching is because he'll take a scripture and a scripture and put them together and change the meaning of the whole thing to kind of match the message. And it just is like, ah, it's not my place to judge that or whatever. I'm not qualified. But I recognize it because I know the word. And I can judge that in my life and be like, mm, no. So let's look at examples of destabilizing the test, the text. Okay, John 6.27 is our scripture. What's the first thing we're going to do when we're going to look at this? Find the context of this verse. So if we go to John 6, you don't, you don't have to put it up. He was writing. <laughs> he gets it off on that one. So John 6 and verse 27, and we're going to use the second part of John 6, okay? So the context here, we're not going to read this, but the, the context is bread from heaven. Jesus is teaching clearly this is this scripture and into uh, almost all the way to chapter 7 is talking about communion and how he's the bread of life, um, you know, and he goes on through this stuff and doing the works of God. He talks about Moses. He talks about a number of different things. He talks about being rejected on his own. They're traveling back and forth in the boat. So here's, here's what it says, okay? So dynamic equivalent translations of the end of John 27. Now this, these, um, can you go back one slide? I think the one before this is the word for word one. Okay. Let's talk about context for a second. And, and we'll talk about this when we get to the study in one in a couple of weeks, all right? 
Context means that which goes with the text. So you can't take a scripture out of the middle of this, out of a story, a long story like this, because he's in the middle of, a, of a, talking about communion, and he talks about a bunch of other stuff. You can't just pull a scripture out of the middle of that and say, this means this, without knowing the rest of the story, right? Paul Harvey would be proud right now, if you're old enough to know who that is. Okay, context is the environment in which it dwells, right? Scripture lives in an environment that's moving, and it's stronger than a sword and can cut you to the marrow, Right? And this scripture is hanging out in this story, right? Think about like a, a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. It's just hanging out in there, swimming around, doing its thing. So if you take that goldfish out of that bowl and put it over here and call it a dolphin, guess what? It's out of its environment. It's out of its natural state, and it's going to die. So if you're pulling a scripture out of a story and putting meaning to that scripture... It's going to die because it's not thriving in its environment, right? It's the environment in which it dwells. So scripture is alive and moving, and it has to be in an environment, right? The setting in which something exists or occurs, context rules in or determines the interpretation of the text. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about how to interpret text. Because sometimes, to get the context of what's going on, especially in the Old Testament, you got to go back chapters and figure out who, what, when, where, why, and how. Who is even talking here, right? If I'm a, uh, uh, the Lord's got me in Ezekiel going chapter by chapter, and i got to tell you, it is depressing. It's like, you know, judgment on Amen. judgment on Jerusalem, judgment on Judah, judgment on this, judgment on that. It's like, why though? Because if you got to get the context of what's happening, they have been disobedient and they've, they've messed up everything. So they're being judged for what they're doing. But you have to figure that out. You have to know why. You have to know who is speaking and why. You know, if you, look, if you read through Joshua, Joshua's got lots of good stuff in there, but it's not always Joshua talking. Right? Sometimes they revert back to Moses, sometimes they're, they're talking about other things, and sometimes it's thus says the Lord. So you've got to know who's talking, right? So context rules. Now, if we look at these verses, this verse, I want to read from the New American Standard Bible. Okay, this is the end of it, okay? In verse 27, it says this, For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Okay? You understand what that says? God has set his seal. The him there in the context is talking about Jesus. But the context really is communion. Okay? So that was the New American Standard word-for-word translation Bible. New King James Version says it this way. He says, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Right? Sounds the same. Blends together. Word-for-word, it's going to sound the same. English Standard Version says, For on him God the Father has set his seal. So all three of those literal word-for-word translations almost sound the same, right? They're a little different, but they're stable. Understand, stable. The text is stable. It's saying the same thing, okay? Slightly different, but the text is stable. 
Again, we're going to get the context, and then we're going to do a who, what, where, when, and why, and understand and what's being illustrated. Now, dynamic equivalent translations of the same verse, okay? NIV, New International Version, okay? On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Approval? Didn't say anything about approval in the other literal translations, all right, RIB is the Revised English Bible. For on him, God the Father has set his seal of authority. Remember, thought for thought, where somebody's thinking that the seal represents authority or the seal represents approval. And it's, it's kind of contradictory if we think that God the Father approves of his son. Of course he does, right? Most fathers do. All right, the CIV, or CEV, Contemporary English Bible, again, thought for thought, says, because God the Father has given him the right to do so. Is that even close? Right? Okay, New Living Translation, for God the Father has sent me for that very purpose. Can you see how this text is destabilized? No seal, no nothing, Right? And the message really is in left field. It says, and he and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father to last. So if we are, are teaching a series on overcoming and working through our lives, and we quote this verse and use the message as a base translation for it, not even right. Not even, can't even qualify. That text is so disjointed that it cannot even be doctrine. Are you with me? Do you understand how that works? So we have to be careful when we're reading these translations. And, and it's really great. It really sounds good. It really sounds like it's uh, uplifting and full of life for me. Make sure you just check back with the literal translation. Check back to the baseline, the foundation, right? Dynamic equivalent translators believe that the translator has the duty to make interpretive decisions concerning the text. Nope. Only God can do that. Always check back, right? So let's talk about this for a second. What the Bible means versus what the Bible says. Right? It's hard to know what the Bible means when we're uncertain about what it says. That verse says something totally different than the literal word-for-word word uh, verse says. So how can we understand what it says if it's not saying what it's supposed to? It's tough. It's tough to get. Most modern translations prevent the reader from inferring biblical meaning because they changed what it said. The meaning is not the same. So then we're going to pray this verse. If we, if we have secret place time, what do we do? We pull a scripture, and we're going to pray that scripture, and we're going to make that our confession and our foundation, and it's not even really scripture because we pulled it out of a, of a translation, and they've changed what it said totally, right? It it's really makes it impossible to know what the Bible means because they've removed what it said. Deep, Right? Aren't you, aren't you just offended <laughs> right now? All right, here's a simple one. Psalm 23, verse 5, right? Last thing we'll do right here. 
compare three uh, dynamic translations. The King James, New King James says, you anoint my head with oil. Okay? Psalm 23, verse 5 says, you, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Right? Good News Translation translates it this way, which is pretty close. You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me, and you welcome me as an honored guest and fill my cup to the brim. Okay? I don't like that because, you know, I'm not sure the banquet was prepared for me. He says in the other one, he says, prepared table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the meaning's different, right? Now in the message says, you serve a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. <laughs> it's like six-course <laughs> meal. What? You revive my drooping head and my cup brims with blessing. I mean, that's fluffy and beautiful and kind, but it's not right. Come on. That is a complete change of what that means to me, right? And, and me, and I'm, I'm going to put Chase in here too, we're really hardcore on the literal word-for-word -word translations. I mean, we're not going to go too far into left field but I have used some of these translations in my messages, and that's just to get simple meaning out there. I'm never going to build doctrine on a, a dynamic equivalent translation script verse. You can't, right? And we'll see once we get to studying, there's certain areas of the Bible that you're not allowed to build doctrine on, okay? Words of Jesus all day. Psalms, not so much. Proverbs, meh. Poetry, can't. Job, no. Old Testament history, no. Can't build doctrine on those things, right? You can only build solid doctrine on the words of the Father, which is the whole Bible, right? That's what everybody says. Well, there's certain parts of the Bible that are not doctrine buildable, okay? He's use a complicated word. But we can always roll back to uh, Jesus' words, and Jesus' words are the end of every argument. Let me throw this in there. Jesus' words in a literal word-for-word -word translation are the end of the argument. And if you really want to get complicated, you can look at the Greek. And really, that complicates everything because Greek translations are really different, and the meanings of the words are really different, okay? But it's possible. Make sure that your equivalent, I'm not saying not to read those versions. I am just saying make sure your equivalent is saying what the original Greek or language says or the original word-for-word -word literal translations say, okay? Be careful because it matters, like the scriptures we read in the beginning. If you're a teacher, you're going to be held accountable. And the second verse we read says we're all teachers, we're all evangelists. So we carry the seed just make sure we're doing it right. Make sure we're saying it right. Okay, can you put that other thing up there one more time? Okay, so the word for words, you see them, okay? Anytime there's a standard translation or King James, you see a lot of old school pastors, preachers, they always do King James, that's the only way. Well, when Tyndale translated that, he really did a good job of word for word. That's why sometimes it's super hard and choppy because it's word for word, right? Some of the middle ones are, are good, but be careful, right? Especially like living Bibles, NIVs, those types of things. And the ones on the end, like the passion, the living, and the other things like that, 
you just, I mean, just read them for joy. You're not going to base your life on John 3.16 out of the Living Bible. It's just not going to happen because it's just not right, right? It's somebody's paraphrase. And if we break down paraphrase means I'm going to take what your thought, put it in my words, and that's the way it's going to be. Well, you can't do that with the Word of God. I want to end with this quote from, uh, from um, uh, John MacArthur, if I can find it in my mess of notes. Did I put it up? No. John MacArthur says something really cool that I can't find. Hmm. Oh, well. well. We'll read it another time. It was so good. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, be careful with translations, okay? Let's all stand up and we'll pray. Hallelujah. Man, that's a bummer. It's right here. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that your Bible, your word, Lord, is truth in our lives. And now, Father, we can lean into it and we can understand it and we can put it in our hearts and, Father, become evangelists just with the word of God because it is truth in our life. Father, we thank you that we can stand in a beautiful place and preach your word and teach your word because it's truth. And Father, we lean into these translations that are word for word to get understanding, to base our life in, to build doctrine on. And Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the sacrifice of the saints that have kept it together for thousands and thousands of years, God. And Father, we thank you that you are God in our lives and that we can lean into you and love you, Father. And you'll teach us through the Spirit, through your word, and through action. So, Father, we love you, we honor you, and we praise you tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to Bridge Church Utah. Dot com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.